Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more information about us, please visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Amen. All right, my friends. Well, we are in week number three of this series called Revival Starts Within, and we are talking about ways and rhythms of people who long for more of God. We, we actually believe that there's things that we embody for someone who wants to long for more of God. And our hope is that everybody in this room, at some level, longs for more of him. Um, no matter if you're deeply running after him or if you're kind of, you know, testing the water. or if, You know, I just believe that inside each and every person, especially followers of Jesus, but really every human, there's a heart and a soul that longs for more with their creator. And I think for us, a lot of us, we have to tap into that and understand what that means. And so last week we kind of opened up a little bit of uh, the subject that I want to get into today. I want to talk about uh, just the slow, the slowed down, if you will, spirituality, the ways and rhythms of slowing our life down. And, you know, so far we've talked about our heart and soul and then at Longs for More we've talked about a, a little bit around this busyness factor that we all deal with. We talked about that last week. And, and, and today I want to talk about some, some ways and rhythms of slowing slowing our life down and paying attention to what's going on in our heart and soul. About, 50, about 15 or 16 years ago, I, uh, I was able to go on a retreat with a group of student pastors. I was a student pastor at the time, and I'd never went on a retreat like this before. I got to go, and it was one of those that uh, I, the sole intent was for it to be, I was going to be poured into. I was supposed to just to be able to receive from the Lord and be poured into as a, as a young leader and young pastor. And I'd never been on one of those things before. Maybe you've never got to go on a retreat where the sole intent is just a spiritual retreat for yourself. Uh, but like I said, I think it was about 25 years old, about 15 of us um, on this trip. And the guy leading the trip started at the very beginning that he wanted this time together to be about us resting and restoring our souls. And it was actually one of those times in my life that was pretty transformative because some stuff kind of got downloaded into my hard drive, right? Like it hasn't left. It's like stayed with me, some of the things that I experienced on this little trip. And on the third night of the trip, the guy leading it kind of prepped us for what the fourth day was going to be. And he's like, tomorrow we're going to have a time of solitude and we're going to take the entire day and do this. Now, I didn't really know what he meant by the word solitude. Um, I had heard the word before. I was more familiar with something like solitaire, you know what I mean? Like, give me a deck of cards, I can go to town. It was, as a kid, it was my, you know, physical activity in the summer. Um, but I knew, I knew, I didn't know much about solitude. Um, I knew it was spiritually focused, of course. And he explained that we're going to be spending eight hours in solitude from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And during those eight hours, we would be completely uh, by ourselves, we weren't supposed to talk to anyone. Uh, we were supposed to have we weren't supposed to have our phones. Back then, I had my Motorola Razor. I had to put it down to the side. You know what I'm saying? We couldn't have iPods or Discmans because I was still probably rocking one of those as well. And we just were allowed to have our Bible, a journal, and our sack lunch that we had packed that morning. That was the only thing we could take with us. And full disclosure, we did have great scenery. It was on a beach, so you're like, oh, pssst. you know what I mean? But but it was interesting. I was thinking, I don't know what you're thinking. You might be thinking right now, like, that sounds amazing. Eight hours by yourself. No one's going to talk to you. No phone. And I was like, I thought the same thing. I was like, very excited about this. I'm a little bit of an introvert. and a little bit. I am an introvert. I thought, this is going to be great. I'm going to love this. And um, some of you, you know, I sat down at 9 a.m. without any, anyone else, 
without anything to listen to, without anything to read other than my Bible, uh, without any activities or plans or meetings or games or things to get accomplished that day. I sat down at that time, and time literally slowed (laughs) down. You know what I'm talking about. I remember thinking at like 10.30, is it lunchtime? (laughs) I'm like, I better keep that ham and cheese and apple for later. I remember I got to noon, one. (laughs) Never mind, I thought that was a funny lunch. Never mind. <laughs> One, one thirty, and I'm like, I, I get it. I get it. It's time. To, I like. I totally get this, Lord. You know, like I'm good. I think I'm good. I'm ready to go. But I, I had to push all the way through five. And here's what I realized. I realized a number of things. I actually really love the time, but I, re- I did realize that my life was not used to slowing down that much. I realized that my mind was not used to to just sitting and being quiet and still for that long. I mean, I, I moved around quite a bit that day. I'm like walking the beach. I'm like, you know, trying to find, trying to, I'm getting fidgety. Anybody get fidgety when they get still? You know, and, and uh, but that day also did something else. It was like I tasted something that my heart and soul was longing for and my heart cried out after that, like, I want more of that. I want more of that time. And it was like, I need more of that. And I would say that day is probably one of the most significant days in terms of my understanding of ways and rhythms that really speak to the heart and soul and has stuck with me. And my understanding, not only my ways and rhythms around, uh, around solitude, but also around work and rest and, and prayer and worship and my ways and rhythms of restoring, uh, restoring myself, but also vacationing and retreating, which are two very different things. Most of us know how to vacation. We really don't know how to retreat. Maybe we don't even ever retreat. So anyway, this series, though, is ultimately about what's happening within us. And we've been trying to have some dialogue, some conversations, some messages, some teachings, whatever you want to call them, around a bigger picture of, yes, we have a hope that revival would happen in our church, in our city, at a larger scale, but also individually, that we would see revival happen in us. And if you don't know what that is, it just means an accelerated work of God in your life in which more is happening than you could ever do on your own, right? There's a work of the Spirit being poured out on you and his people in which he is manifesting himself in all sorts of ways that you thought were never possible. The things that you read in the Bible are actually the things of your life. That's revival, and that's possible. And we want to see that happen, and we are praying and longing for it. But here's what we know, too, is we can't make it happen. It's a work of God. However, what I do know is that he always does it in people who seem to be preparing and seem to be ready and longing for revival. So there's something that has to go on within us to see the deeper things of God really take root and take off, if you will, in our life. And, and so I, I think it's, it's worth asking questions like, does my heart and soul really long for God? I think it's worth asking questions like, or is my heart distracted? Uh, by, by, by other things, by worries, or by life's demands. And, and I use the word distracted because I think our hearts, if we follow Jesus, they truly do long for more of him, but they become distracted. And our hearts can be captured by what captures our mind, whether that be the worries of this world, or they, even the, the responsibilities of not only work and relationships, but most of us, most of us, we aren't looking for more worries or more of life's demands, yet that's the thing that consumes our heart. What we really are looking for, though, is more of, more of the Lord. So what's going on within you is a really important question. So again, we, last week we opened up with this idea of slowed down spirituality a little bit. We wrestled with the realities of our busyness 
And just in case you weren't here, I'll, I'll just recap this because busyness is not the enemy. A lot of us want to blame busyness. It's our scapegoat for everything that we're not good at. You know what I mean? Like my car's dirty, therefore it's because I'm too busy, right? If my car's dirty, I'm too busy. I, I don't have great friendships. I'm too busy. I'm not doing enough with my relationship with the Lord. It's because I'm too busy. I don't, I'm not coming to church. I'm not doing all these things because I'm too busy. We use busyness as our scapegoat for everything that we feel guilty about or that we don't feel like we're doing very well. Are you with me? But what I was saying and what I believe is that busyness is not the enemy that we need to fight against to say, how do we become less busy? Because Jesus never modeled a life that wasn't busy. In fact, Jesus was full of kingdom work all the time. He just had, so he had a very similar experience as we do with busyness. However, what he didn't have and what we don't have that he had was ways and rhythms that he lived into that kind of came alongside that busyness. busyness. And so what, what, what we're looking at is what are the ways and rhythms? Because there's no question we have to be in charge of our busyness. Our busyness can't be in charge of us. And I believe that we can have a life that is full of God, but it is dependent upon having the ways and rhythms that embody God's designs of things like work and rest. So today, that's kind of the intro. Hmm. I'm already tired. <clears throat> I'm probably going to say ways and rhythms too many times. I can't even say it. It's like ways. It's like Russell Westbrook, ways and rhythms. I can't do it. We don't speak that name or are we cool with them? We're cool with them. Okay. So today I want to talk more specifically about a couple of rhythms that help us slow down in a busy world. I want to talk about Sabbath and solitude. I'll put them on the screen. Two ways and rhythms of a slowed down spirituality. The first one is this. It's just resting every week. Sabbath. It's a rhythm of work and rest. We're going to talk about that. And the second one is this. Practicing solitude routinely. It's a rhythm of restoring the heart and soul. Now, if I'm honest, I need these things more than ever in my life. I'm like anyone. I have seasons where I do things well in my spiritual rhythms, and then I have seasons where I don't. And I think sometimes my rhythms becomes, become ruts. And you remember we talked, what are, what's the difference between a rut and a rhythm? A rut is something that we don't, expe we don't expect anything new, but a rhythm is something where we expect spiritual transformation. And spiritual transformation always requires change. Ruts don't want change. They want routine. Binge-watching Netflix can be a rut we get in, right? But so can coming to church. Church can become a rut when we, don't experience, when we don't expect spiritual transformation. Are you with me? Like, we come to church, and it just becomes a rut if we're not actually looking to see things that the Lord's going to do to change us. And so spiritual rhythms is, has the purpose of feeding our soul. So if we are just going to look at church history and we are just going to look at all the things that are in the Bible, we look at these two things of Sabbath and solitude. I would say this to you, and I think I would just present this to you. Historically speaking, biblically speaking, at the core of spiritual formation, there's other things that go along with, but these two things sit at the core. Over the centuries, and significant people like the Benedictine monks or spiritual uh, historical theologians like St. Augustine or Martin Luther, as well as modern-day spiritual formation authors that you may or may not know these names, but people like Dallas Willard or Henry Nouwen, all of them point to things like Sabbath and solitude as essential to believers who really want to know more of God and who want to experience more of God. And I think for a lot of us, we're like, oh, you know, you know what's the latest podcast say or what's the latest book say? And here's the thing, history and biblical history, biblical um, theology itself and the history of the church speaks to these two things being essential ingredients. And so it begs us to say, what does it look like in my life then? So after, uh, over the last 15 years of my life, these ways and these rhythms have become something that I've been trying to figure out. And 
In Genesis 2, God starts to kind of unfold this picture of the rhythm of, of Sabbath in which he creates in six days. He rests on the seventh. And then we're supposed to work and live and operate in the image of God, which means we are supposed to, just as God worked and created, we are supposed to work and create, and just as God rested, we are supposed to rest. So that's where it begins. But the story gets a little bit more detailed, and, and we can get a little more understanding when we get to the people of God and the story of Exodus. So in Exodus 16, I'm going to jump over there. You've got to understand, like, there's something going on inside of the story of God in which he's just continually doing something. He's giving us something. We just don't really understand that he's actually trying to give it to us instead of just tell us what to do. In Exodus 16, we pick up the story. Moses and the people of God, they're out wandering in the wilderness. We know the story, right? It's a pretty famous story, I think. Everybody knows it. They're out wandering in the wilderness. They escaped Egypt. They're headed towards the promised land. There's so much happening inside this story from Egypt to the promised land. It's just like rich of all this sort of learning. Well, in Exodus 16, we get the story of whenever they didn't have any food out in the wilderness and God was miraculously providing manna from heaven every morning, right? It would just show up. They would wake up in the morning and there was manna. If you can imagine this, it was like this bread-like uh, kind of food, kind of a, I don't know, ready-to-eat meal for them, I guess. You know what I mean? Like they were ready to, they just picked it up. And so I'm going to pick it up in that story. 1621, each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed. This is the manna, right? And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. That's a little weird. <laughs> On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of all the community came and reported it to Moses. So what's going on here is the leaders are like coming to Moses and saying, hey, hey, hey by the way, People are grabbing two. Is that okay? They're a little bit unsure. And then he says this. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is a day of Sabbath rest, the holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. So whatever is left, keep it until morning. So basically Moses is like, on the sixth day, get twice as much food, get it ready. And then on the seventh day, you're not going to have to go get any food because you got it on the sixth day because there's not going to be any food on the seventh day. Verse 27, nevertheless, because this is what we do, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none because God was resting, right? Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. He has given it to you. This is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. How many of you know that just because it's a commandment doesn't mean it's not a gift? You know what I'm saying? Just because it's a commandment, does, are you guys with me? I need you to be with me. I just, I'm feeling it. I'm, I don't know. I don't think you're feeling it, but here we go. Next week, our family is going on vacation, and I'm going to tell my children to do a number of things. I'm going to say, clean your room before we go. I'm going to say, pack your bags before we go. And then I'm going to get them up really early morning and say, you need to get out of bed and we're going to go on vacation. And the whole reason I'm giving them all these commands and I'm forcing them to do these things is so that I can give them a gift. Are you with me? I'm going to give them a gift of a vacation. And sometimes, my, and sometimes these aren't just the gifts for us. Sometimes it's to protect us from ourselves. I tell my son all the time, the five-year-old uh, son, Grayson, he wants to go swimming. And we say, no, 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 you have one thing you have to do before you go swimming. You've got to put sunscreen on because you're pasty white like me, and if you go and just jump in the pool and do your belly flop like you like to do without any sunscreen, you're going to fry and you're going to bake in this Oklahoma sun that's 100 degrees. You know what I'm saying? But good news, everybody. A cool front is coming. It's 85 tomorrow. So my, my point is sometimes he gives us gifts for ourselves, but sometimes he tells us commands to protect us from ourselves. How many of you know that you'll keep working if you don't have something in place to protect you from your own self? 
And so God is trying to give us something to say, you know what, this is actually a gift. I'm not commanding you to do this because I want to set rules on you and control you. I'm giving you something to actually help you, and I'm giving you something that actually protects you from yourself. And so this is the work that's starting to unfold very early in the people of God. And he's trying to give us something. Exodus chapter 20, we get more about this rhythm and this rest. We're going to stay in Exodus a lot. The Sabbath, God created it. And where it came from, you got to remember, Moses, he gets to Mount Sinai. You remember the story we talked about last week? He goes up to the mountain and is like, ah, and God gives him the Ten Commandments. And he comes back down and he says, all the Ten Commandments. And here they are listed in order, right? You shall have no other gods before me. This is interesting because there's one, there's one of these, I don't know if you can figure it out yet on the screen, but there's one of these that stands out. You, you shall have no other gods before me, no other idols, no misuse the name of the Lord. Oh, and remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Six days you shall not labor and do all the work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord of God. On it you shall not work or do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner, which is always maybe, how do you stop your animals from working? My dog works hard. I can't tell him what to do. Nor any foreigners residing in your towns for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Oh yeah, honor your father and mother. You shall not murder, not commit adultery, steal, false testimony, or not covet. Now, here's the thing. If you read the scriptures there, there's a little bit more on a few of those. But Sabbath is by far the longest one. Why? Because he's like, you guys will breeze past this one if you don't really pay attention. And by the way, all the other ones are things you don't do. What are the two that say the things you should do? Sabbath and honor your mom and dad, kids. I just looked at them there over there. Those are the things you get to do. They're get-tos. It's almost hilarious, isn't it? Every other commandment is clear and concise, and here's this one that just has this history lesson attached to it. Like, you guys need to pay attention. And the history of the Jewish people is that they have observed the, pa- the, the, the Sabbath, and then, of course, when Christianity came along, uh, we moved the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday to, to of course, recognize the, the resurrection of Jesus, which is a great thing. And, and now, even post, um, post the kind of the early church, the Sabbath has become a little bit different. And now it's kind of just whenever you want to do it. But really, it's about a rhythm of work and rest. And, and, and it's finding that in our life. Jesus wants to change some things. If you, if you ever read the New Testament, there's actually quite a bit of disagreement around the Sabbath. And Jesus has a lot to say about it. And, and he actually comes along and he says, you know what, the whole, the whole law thing, I, I, I love the law. I, I love the law. The law is here to give you a gift. It's actually here to protect you from yourself. That's what it's for. It's not in, intended to be the center of your faith. He says, I actually want to make Jesus, I want to actually make you the Lord the center of your faith. So he says, I didn't come to actually abolish the law, to get rid of the law. I actually came to fulfill it, to make it walk and talk and breathe. And so I came to fulfill the law, but I'm going to show you that Sabbath isn't supposed to be some legalistic practice. And so he starts to dismantle the legalistic kind of understanding that it's supposed to be in a certain particular way where people are like, you know, getting very religious about it. And, and in his case, they were even telling him that he couldn't heal on the Sabbath and so forth, so on. And you're like, so what are we talking about? What I'm trying to say to you is it's not about the law. I'm not, we're not going to present something today to you that's like, hey, you should have Sabbath. It should be 24 hours on this day of the week, and this is what you can and can't do. Jesus said, no, no, no. I didn't come to abolish the law, meaning I didn't come to do away with it. I think people just got confused about the law, what the law was for. It was going to give you something, and it was going to protect you from yourself. Humanity has its limits, does it not? 
And Sabbath gives you the opportunity to look at the clock one day and go, oh, it's 2.30, and not go, I have so much left to do. But go, oh, it's 2.30. Time is going really slow. I read a story about a group of people in the 1800s that uh, were traveling on the Oregon Trail. And if you're a Gen Xer like me, the Oregon Trail is a computer game that you played in elementary school. <laughs> yes. I'm actually going to go get that game, I think, when I get home. But um, this is the real Oregon Trail, where wagons are following wagon after wagon up to the northwest part of the country. And there was a large group uh, uh, that were traveling together, and they were observing the Sabbath on Sundays of their, of their travel, and they would stop and observe the Sabbath. They wouldn't travel any that day. They would just rest in the Lord. And as it got later in the fall and winter was approaching, several in the group started to panic because they wanted to get there in time. And so they said, we should probably just start traveling seven days a week. And there was a part of the group that said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're going to continue to observe the Sabbath. And so the group became divided, and one group left and said, we're just going to keep pushing forward. The other group said, well, we're going to keep staying uh, true to the Sabbath. And so you probably get where the story goes. Who arrived first? Those who were Sabbathing because... Because the, themselves and their horses were so rested, they were able to travel so much more efficiently and effectively on the six days that they were working. And see, here's the thing. God just doesn't want to give you something. He wants to make all your other six days better. And he's like, I, I, I have a reason that I'm giving you this stuff. It's not just for the day, so you will be with me in some way, but it's for the other days. So, I want to give you something. Uh, I'll give you four thoughts about how to Sabbath. And I borrowed these four thoughts from Pete Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And so I'll just give you these four thoughts. Hopefully they'll be helpful. Um, but the first one is this. The first one is we've got to stop. The, the word Sabbath is actually the Hebrew word for stop, ceasing to work for a 24-hour period. Um, but stop. At the core of Sabbath is a day of stopping, stop, stopping normal activity, business as usual. You've got to stop it. And now, that doesn't mean you have to go sit and stare at the wall or something, but it just means that you got to, <laughs> Billy Madison, sorry. Um, it, it just means you gotta, you got you to gotta stop business as usual and need to be productive, uh, and the need to be productive. Jesus combated these legalistic tendencies uh, with the mindset of <clears throat> these religious leaders, and he said something different. He said, this isn't supposed to be some set of religious rules, but it's supposed to be a gift so that you can stop as best as you can. And so the first thing is you got to find a time that you can stop. The second one is rest. Because once we stop, Sabbath calls us to rest. Rest from your work. Get your mind off of things that your vocation is. And some people go, this is where the debate comes in. Well, what's, what's rest mean? What's work? I mean, and so people start going, am I allowed to do yard work on the Sabbath? And I would just say, you know, if you're the person that's like, I cannot stand yard work. It is like the worst thing ever. Then I would say, don't do it on the Sabbath. But if you're like, I love me some yard work. I live for yard work. It replenishes my soul. Go for it, man. Live it up. You know, clip those things one at a time. I don't care. Get some scissors. Abandon the mower. The idea is it's supposed to be restful. And if it's restful to you, you're allowed to do it if you find delight in it, which leads to the third one, delight in the Lord. Find time to delight in the Lord. Find time to enjoy life, slowing down to enjoy all that God has given you. Perhaps it's enjoying your favorite foods. I've heard this said, you're not allowed to diet on the, on the Sabbath. I don't know. 
I don't know if that's really in the Bible, but smart. <laughs> you know, enjoy good foods. Get out in his creation. Um, have great conversation with, with friends and family. As long as it's not work for you to have conversation with friends and family. <laughs> Find time to not be rushed when you're reading the scripture or when you're reading a book. Delight. Most of us really have a hard time delighting, don't we? It's like we work and we stop sometimes, but delight, it's like a whole nother level of stopping and resting. And then the fourth thing is we contemplate. Of course, Sabbath, uh, you got to contemplate, meaning, in other words, reflect and pray and Spend time listening to the Lord and praying and, and consider, you know, what is he teaching you through stopping and resting and delighting? And perhaps you're wondering, you know, does this have to be 24 hours? And here's what I'd say to that is, I think you just start somewhere. You know, if you're able to go 24 hours, you know, go for it, like, whatever. But if you're in a place where you're like, I just need to start somewhere, then I would say just start somewhere. That's what is so freeing about this to me in my heart. I want to work towards what God wants to give me. God wants to give me a day, a week. But I know that some of us mentally have to work towards that. And I'm not going to get in the way of that. I just want to tell you that God wants to give you something. So the second thing I want to talk about, uh, I want to close with uh, the, the second rhythm I mentioned, which is solitude. And I said this the first time. I'm not closing. I don't know why I said it again. We're definitely not closing. We got a long ways to go here, guys. Um, I want to talk about solitude. I told that my story of my first solitude experience, and uh, as we began the message, and, and since then I've experienced solitude in a number of ways since then, and and it's been it's been fantastic. It's been good. It's what I get to. T- it's every time I taste and see this is really what my heart and soul is longing for more of. And God meets me in in solitude so many ways. He meets other people, and I know that some people are thinking, yeah, yeah, solitude. If I'm if I'm hearing you right, it's about getting alone and being by yourself for a long time. Tim, don't you know that people connect in different ways? And this isn't always really easy for a lot of people. Don't you know your Myers Briggs? Some people are extroverts and some people are introverts. And some people that are extroverts, they just want to be around people. And I'm like, here's the good news about solitude: is you actually go to get to be with God, who's the most engaging relationship you ever have so extroverts should love it and introverts should love it too because it's a time of quiet and stillness that you get to go be in the presence of the lord so it actually works it's a win-win for everybody but there's truth in that in that solitude is not about who you are as a personality type solitude is about the fact that the lord continually uses time alone with him to continue to do the deep work that he wants to do within us and so this is something that we get to do. And for a lot of us, we are, on, we are constantly trying to, to work something out. We're trying to fix something. We're trying to make stuff happen in life instead of being willing to go into an extended time of letting God make stuff happen. Exodus 14, um, again, staying in Exodus, but the story of these Israelites. You remember, this is, this is one of the best parts of the story. In Exodus 14, the Israelites are on the run. Remember, they're out of Egypt. They're going towards the promised land, and they come up against the Red Sea. So you can imagine this moment. They come up against the Red Sea. They're like, where do we go? They turn around. The Egyptians are actually, they decided to chase after them, and they're coming after them. Now, what do you feel like you're supposed to do in that moment, right? You're supposed to do something, aren't you? Well, Moses, Moses has this moment with his people, and he says this. Exodus 14, verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Again, raging sea in front of them, army of Egyptians behind them. Do not be afraid. Uh, do you know 
What's going on here, Moses? Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. This is like an impossible request, is it not? Like, don't you know you're supposed to do something in this? Like, I don't know. You got to run. You got you to gotta like look, look around for something that you can, I don't know, like go find a bunch of seashells. I don't know what you're going to do with the seashells, but you got to do something, right? Like, you just got to, like, I don't know about you, but I'm sitting going, if this is me in life and I have, and I'm pinned against two things, I'm thinking I have to be called to action in this moment. Are you with me? And here he is, and he says, hey, hey, be still. The Lord will fight for you. I want to read a, 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 excuse me, a quote from uh, author Ruth Haley Barton. Write some amazing books about, um, just our spiritual formation. She says, one of the fundamental purposes of solitude is to give us a concrete way of entering into such stillness so that God can come and do what only God can do, not us. For the most part, I'm not sure we as human beings are capable of being still and letting God fight for us without a discipline to help us do it. Now, the discipline she's speaking of is the discipline of solitude. If we don't have the discipline to help us actually know how to be still, we're going to continue to try and do it ourselves instead of letting God do the work that only he can do. Some of us need to hear today that it's okay. It's okay to stop talking. <laughs> it's okay to stop doing and stop trying and stop trying to fix and stop trying to have all the answers Stop striving. And it's okay to just be in God's presence. It's, it's okay. And I think it's really important for some people to hear that it's okay because so many of us, we feel guilt anytime we stop. We feel guilt anytime we take more than a few minutes to be on our own. I don't know if you guys feel this. But some of us struggle with the we feel like we're taking advantage of the freedom that maybe we have to do that. And I would say, yes, you should absolutely take advantage of the freedom that you've been given in Christ because he wants to give you something. But for the enemy, man, he's deceived us to think you can keep going, you can keep pressing, you're not like everybody else, you're stronger, or that you don't need that, or it's too spiritual, or it's whatever excuse that the enemy has deceived you to think that this kind of stuff is just... It's just unnecessary. Because here's what I believe. Think about it. The Ten Commandments. All the other nine, we most universally agree as Christian are pretty relevant to being a Christian. But this one, for whatever reason, has been one that we have, we have sadly dismissed as an essential to our faith. And I think that a lot of us have done that. And, and now we're paying the price. So how to solitude? How to solitude? I think three ideas that I'd say to how to solitude. The first one is this. It's an extended time of quiet and stillness. And, and perhaps you need that in your life. Perhaps you need an extended time. And you're like, what does extended mean? Well, you know, it's relevant to the person. It could be one hour, two hours, eight hours. I don't know. It could be a retreat for you once a year. I don't know what it is. But I know it's an extended time of quiet and still, to the point that you're probably going to get a little bit like, what am I still doing here? 
You know what I mean? I remember so many times sitting in solitude, my mind wandering and thinking about other things and going, am I being now unspiritual? And no, you don't have to beat yourself up in solitude that you're not completely 100% focused every second of the whole time. But it's giving yourself the space that most of us won't do. The second one is have no agenda besides being with, being with the Lord. So you don't come in with, I'm going to, man, I got eight hours, so I'm going to read this book, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, pray on these 17 things, and I'm hoping he'll give me an answer today. <laughs> but have no agenda other than that. Just say, I'm just going to come, Lord, set this time aside. I'm just going to be still, be quiet. And that leads to this third one is it's just listen and allow what is in your heart and soul to come out. I just have a belief that for a lot of us, until we get still and we get quiet, we don't even really know what's going on in our heart and soul completely. And strangely enough is every time that I have, like, stuff comes out that I wasn't expecting, whether it be challenging things like fears or worry, or whether it be really encouraging things like, oh, the Lord wants to encourage me with this or wants to push me towards that. And I, and I, and I have these moments that, things come out of my heart and soul that I never expected but unless I get quiet and still I just it's just distracted and it's covered up and I don't pay attention to it Parker Palmer I'm gonna give you another quote from a guy named Parker Palmer and everybody who writes on spiritual formation quotes this guy but he says this the soul is like a wild animal tough resilient resourceful savvy self-sufficient and knows how to survive in hard places, but it is also shy. Just like a wild animal, it seeks safety in the dense underbrush. If we want to see a wild animal, we know that the last thing we should do is go crashing through the woods, yelling for it to come out, which is what so many of us do, right? Come out, Lord, we need you now. But if we will walk quietly into the woods, sent patiently by the base of the tree, and fade into our surroundings. The wild animal we seek might put in an appearance. You know, for a lot of us, maybe this is the first time in a while that you've heard a teaching on this, so it's causing you to consider things you haven't considered in a while. Maybe you're thinking, this would be a big deal if I actually did this and we sort of changed up our whole rhythm and routine. And, and, and I just want to say, like, I think a lot of us have probably thought our Christian faith is about, well, I, need to, I just need to do my best to get some time with the Lord. A little prayer, a little scripture reading, that's what it's about. And I would say this, that I think our rhythms to slow down need to have a daily rhythm that we would pray and then we would read scripture. I, I believe that. We've been talking about that for a long time now. That prayer would be a part of our everyday life. But I also think we need a weekly rhythm where we, a rhythm of work and rest. And then I think we need to do a regular sort of routine. Maybe it's monthly, maybe it's quarterly, maybe it's a big retreat a year. For, I don't know what it is, but a time of extended solitude. There's probably other rhythms, but what if you just lived into that? I mean, for a lot of us, we're living into maybe prayer and scripture as best we can. And, and maybe it's time to say, it's time for me to extend the rhythms that God wants to put in my life because he wants to give them to me. And when I think about some of the big breakthrough moments in my life, a lot of them have come out of times of solitude. You know, Christy used to say, and this is years ago, but Christy used to kind of say, like, I know when Tim goes away for a little while and he's by himself that he's going to come back and then there's going to be like some, you know, big breakthrough, like, ah, you know, thus saith the Lord. 
kind of moment. Like, God spoke and we're moving to Alaska, baby. Something like that. And, and there was a little bit of like we were, she, she would say she was bracing for the breakthrough, right? Because something was going to happen. And, and this would be true of Chrissy's life too when she gets alone, that God would speak and, and, and we have these, we kind of brace for the breakthrough and then, but now I would say that we long for the breakthrough. We want it. We're like, bring it. And here's the cool thing about it is as I thought about this, is a lot of us probably are maybe in that place where we're like, the idea of more of God and the idea of changing our ways and our rhythms, it like seems a little bit like this could disrupt a lot of things. This could change a lot of things. And um, I'm sort of bracing, if you will, like for the change. Like this could be too much. I don't know what's going to happen. And so we brace ourselves almost with hesitancy and, and, and fear. And I would say that's natural. I've been there. But, but I also know that there's a, in every breakthrough, like there's this desire for more breakthrough. And there's this desire for more breakthrough. And every time that becomes more of a longing in your heart for more. And I would say embrace, embrace the seasons of bracing yourself for more. Step into that. Lean into that. Trust in it. You know, Jesus, I will close with this. Jesus, he was always trying to speak to these things. And there's this Hebrew word, and it's called kavod, K-A-V-O-D, kavod. And it originally was a business term that they would use to kind of signify the weight that was in a scale because they wanted the weight to be fair, of course, because they were either weighing money or weighing goods or whatever. And so the kavod was what they talked about, the weight and the scales. But then later in time, that word kavod came to mean something figurative, something in terms of like the weight that people carry, like something's weighty, it's heavy. You know what I'm talking about? So like when people would feel something heavy on them, they would, oh, the kavod is heavy. <laughs> well, I just said heavy is heavy, but you get it. The kavod on them, right? Well, this is why Jesus shows up and he says this, 11, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened. All of you who are weary and carry kavod. And I will give you rest those of you that are feeling weighty. How many of you know that the heaviest things in life cannot be weighed? Take my yoke upon you and you will learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I know that rest for our souls is what many of us need. And I don't wanna talk about rhythms and ways with some expectation that is now placed on us because anytime I talk about any of these things, I'm sitting there going, well, Lord, I need this more, this as much as anybody in my life. I've struggled with this just as much as any. I don't want it to feel weighty. And Jesus is like, yeah, I don't want it to feel weighty either. I don't want it to be another thing on you. And so here's what I'd say is if like you're in a place where you're like, that feels like a lot and it feels like it's gonna be a really big burden. What I would say is start praying on it. Don't do it. And I would say for those of you like, I'm ready, I need to change my ways, or I'd say, we'll step into it and start somewhere. Because the last thing that Jesus ever is is another weight on your already weighty life. All that Jesus is, is a gift. And he wants to give you stuff. He wants to give you these sorts of things. And, and sometimes we have to be ready to receive the gift. And so my heart is that we're moving you towards ready to receive all that he has for you. My heart is that we as a church are moving towards this place of ready to receive all the more that he wants to give us. And I know that we're at different places and different 
seasons of our life that the way we prepare and move forward in that is going to be a little different. But God longs for more of you. And he waits and anticipates that your heart and soul would long for more of him. He wants a reciprocal sort of thing where he's like, I want more of you. Do you want more of me? Can we enter into that? So my friends, I'm going to pray for us with that in mind today. And I'm just going to pray that the Lord would just even take this for what it is and speak to your own heart. So would you bow your heads? Father, I pray that as we take time to sing now and even these words that really represent even this idea of surrendering our life to you, that you would, could have it all. Father, I pray that that would be where, where we're moving towards. I pray for each person in here that this would sit with them in a way that's helpful and, and sharpening towards the person you've called them to be. So, Lord, we love you. We trust you. We pray that as we sing during these next few moments, that, Lord, our hearts would just not only cry out to you, but for those of us that need to pray or need to just reflect on the things that we're hearing, Lord, would you give us the space to be able to respond to you in whatever way you, we need to. We pray these things in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.